Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Paranormal Paradigm podcast. Hope you're doing well and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. And today's guest is Neil Geddes-Ward. Now Neil's coming on the show to talk about fairies, ghosts and spirits. And the interview is going to be based around the book that he's currently writing. And I know that he goes around the country as well and delivers presentations to groups similar to myself. In fact, we, we're often advertised at the same groups that, that, that we go to. Um, and I joked to, to Neil when I contacted him about this interview that um, we've been friends on social media and we always see each other's names popping up at, at events, but we've never actually spoken to each other or met each other. Um, so to, today is going to tick off the, the the talking to each other box and then it'll just be a case of trying to meet up at some point when restrictions are lifted a little further and we can no doubt meet up at one of the groups. That would be great. Um, it's an interesting subject, actually, that, that, that Neil's going to talk about today. So he's going to be recounting some uh, some experiences that he's um, he's spoken to people about. They've spoken to him about some of what they've encountered. And I'm particularly interested in the fairy aspect because it's not something you really you hear about too much when it comes to the paranormal. We have Bigfoot and we have Mothman and we have, I guess, the Chupacabra and all these other weird type creatures that people tend to see and photograph and believe that they've encountered. But fairies are very few and far between as far as public encounters come about. And I imagine that that might be because maybe they feel silly to talk about fairies. I I don't know. Um, But we'll we'll make sure we ask Neil um, why that is, why it's not so popular um, as opposed to the other sightings of other creatures and mythical beings that are spotted around the world. Before we get into the interview with Neil, though, I'd just like to say yet another thank you to all of you listeners. I've been doing it quite a lot lately, but I don't I don't think I could do it enough. Um, we've recently hit um, a thousand listens or a thousand players via the Anchor service, and the Anchor service goes out to Spotify, iTunes, it distributes it onto all these platforms. So to get, um, well, it'll be over a thousand now, so to get over a thousand individual players is absolutely fantastic. And never, never dreamed that this would happen when I first started this um, last year. And, you know, it was just a bit of fun for me, a way for me to talk to other interesting people and to find out, you know, their thoughts and their theories on on the paranormal. Um, And, you know, what a way to do that and to put it out there for you guys to listen to and for you guys to enjoy. And it's kind of spiralled into quite a successful little podcast. Now I'm getting regular feedback from listeners who are messaging me via via the Facebook group or via my email and uh, it's all good feedback and you know I, I, I welcome any kind of feedback really but it's great to see that you guys are really enjoying the the experience and listening to the show and just a, a special shout out if I may to um, Alex Forbes I think that's how you pronounce your your second name although you do live in Wigan which is uh, as a Warrington Wolves rugby fan Anyone from Wigan, <laughs> I try to uh, I try to avoid. Um, I'm only joking. Um, he's been giving me some some really good feedback lately, and just just chatting really and really sound guy. So thank you, Alex, for for, um, for having a chat and, and listening to the show and enjoying it. Um, really, really appreciate that, and to everyone else as well. So uh, anyway, I uh, hope you enjoy this interview with Neil. Uh, it's a fascinating interview, and uh, like I say, a subject that that is quite quite rare really when it comes to the paranormal in in fairies so uh, enjoy 
And here I am with Neil. How are you doing, Neil? I'm fine. Thank you very much for uh, having me on the show. Uh, Looking forward to sharing some interesting spiritual ghostly tales with you. Absolutely. And uh, it's, you know, I'm kind of honoured that you've come on because as as I mentioned to you previously, we we kind of move in the same circles, but we've never directly spoken. Um, Yeah, that's right. But that's the thing about these things that everyone gets to know each other and they pass people's names around. And it's uh, it's a bit like, I mean, you know, we spoke about drumming and bands and things, and it's a bit like uh, bands would always use the same venues of other bands. And I suppose on the speaker circuit, we're going to use the same venues as other speakers after a while because people will always want, hopefully, our kind of ilk to to share our, our knowledge and research with them. Yeah, I think well, at one point I was I was appearing at groups that, that, that there was yourself, there's Ben Emlyn Jones again, who I've never I've never spoken to, but I was always kind of a week behind you guys at every every venue I went to speak at, um, and it was like, am I ever going to meet these people, or am I just doomed to to <laughs> to follow them wherever they go? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, you had to suffer the the fact that Ben and I would trash the hotel room in typical rock star <laughs> fashion, and then you'd have to go there and use the you know the the broken TV or whatever. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So you um, you've, you've 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 come on, and you're you're currently writing the the book um, about fairies, ghosts, and spirits encounters with fairies, ghosts, and spirits. That's right. Yeah. I mean, this book is actually uh, based upon about uh, 10 years worth of uh, myself doing this kind of talk. And the the interesting thing about it is that each time I've done this talk at different venues and we spoke about various places like the Probe Conference up in Blackpool, which I now believe is uh, coming to an end. And uh, I've spoken about it at Truth Seekers Northeast with Maureen and her team there up at uh, Newcastle. And, and mostly each time that I do this talk, and it's probably the same for yourself when you do these talks someone always comes up to you and tells you their little tale of something that's happened to them uh because they've got a listening ear a sympathetic ear and so this this talk is always evolving and growing and uh i've captured quite a few little gems of stories from various people over the years as as i've been doing it so i thought now is the time to actually try and put this down into some sort of uh, solidified form of, of writing and and back it up with a lot of other additional research uh where people have haven't directly spoken to me but i've gone and looked at other ghostly tales from the past that have always fascinated me and trying to come back uh, and look looked at them with a fresh perspective okay so th- th- what 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 has stood out to me is the word fairies so <laughs> there's plenty of books out there that deal with ghost stories and spirit stories and and those kind of interactions that happen to millions of people every day around the world um and you do hear about fairies every now and then but it's not something I've ever really seen as a, 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 a much researched field. So when you wrote about that section, did you find that it was difficult to come across these encounters or were they were they a plenty? Well, it's a bit of both. There are some old tales written by various people uh, through the centuries, in fact. I mean, centuries have been, uh, sorry, fairies have been around with us for centuries. Um, and I think it's... Uh, Robert Kirkwood, who was like a priest or a reverend or a vicar or something from the 17 or 1800s, I can't remember the year, wrote, wrote like a, a guide to to the fairy folk. Um, because a number of years ago, I, I co-wrote a book called Fairy Craft, um, and that's how we came across his work. But we also came across some more recent research and investigations that people have done. Uh, one of them was this film by a Canadian filmmaker called um, 
John Walker, and he wrote this, uh, well, he made this wonderful film called um, The Fairy Faith. And he covered a couple of stories there from various modern day people. Um, it was made around 2000, I think. So it's about 20 years old now, this film. Uh, people in Canada and Ireland and Wales. And he, he covered some of their fantastic, uh, more recent fairy encounters. And when I say recent fairy encounters, I could be talking anywhere from sort of the 1970s through the 80s, maybe to the 90s. Uh, you know, maybe the last 20 to 30 years or so uh, of recent encounters with fairies and obviously people more likely to share maybe ghostly stories but people are a bit more shy to share what they believe are fairy <laughs> stories yep. because yep. half of them don't even know what they're looking at and, and, and it's a bafflement to the senses i think because they don't always look human um oh, that, that was my next question really so uh, a ghost kind of comes in 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 many forms depending on the experience so, so um i've i've experienced shadow people or people might experience uh, a physical form just as if you were looking at a living person standing in front of them when people think of a fairy i guess they tend to think of the disney style fairy of tinkerbell of of, of, of that you know little with wings long blonde hair is that how they're depicted in the experiences? Is there uh, different species? Are there different sizes? Well, yeah, that's a good question, actually, because, um, yeah, that is uh, the thing. Most people, like you say, think of Tinkerbell and the classic kind of Victorian sweet fairy uh, wing sylphs of the air type of thing. But they have been attempted to be classified as elementals, elementals of the air, water, and the earth and so for instance the the gnome kingdom might be part of the earth elemental uh, and the air elemental would be probably what they call the wing silts of the air that's not necessarily to say that all these fairies have wings some some might have wings but i suspect it's more of uh, perhaps an energy field around the fairy that you might see or it could be just the imagination of the artists uh, thinking well if these fairies or beings seem to float uh, they must have to, have to float with the aid of um, aerodynamics. So I'll put some wings on them, uh, rather like in the way of angels. Yeah. Um, but obviously when people, for instance, have astral projections and they float out of their bodies, they don't have to use wings to float out. They just seem to defy gravity, uh, which makes me think that they're not sort of uh, using the laws of physics on this earth uh, plane as, as such um i mean for instance there was in the fairies uh, film that i told you about earlier there was one guy that was on holiday uh he was a scottish builder uh, on holiday night and he said that he could hear this weird ethereal music coming from somewhere he couldn't quite place the origin but he could hear it and he was at the foot of this hill and i think it was known locally as the fairy hill or the fairy fort i can't actually remember the name of the town it took place in but he said he could see this uh, small woman who appeared to be about a foot high now she didn't have any wings but she had a long leathery pointing hat uh, and she had leathery looking texture to her skin um and she appeared to have what he described as old sheep shears or something like sheep shears and where his shadow was extending out she was cutting around the sole of his uh shoe trying to cut the shadow off of his feet <laughs> and where where his shadow extended just a little bit further on there was this uh male equivalent of this being again about the same height who appear to be this is what gets weird rolling up a shadow like paper 
And he, he thought, where the hell are they come from? And what are they do? And he said, oi. And he said, they looked at each other as if to say, oh, my God, he can see us. And he said, they just disappeared. Poof, like that. I wouldn't say in a puff of smoke because it sounds a cliche. But he said, they just disappeared like that. And he said, he dreads to think what would happen if he hadn't seen them. He happened to see them in his peripheral vision because he was too busy distracted by this wonderful rainbow that was forming over the valley. And he was taken much more in the valley and the scene before him. And it's only that like, this persistence moving down by his feet, he decided to look down to see what it was. And that's where he saw this woman appearing to cut the shadow from his uh, uh, from his feet. Now, it's it's a weird thing. How can you cut a shadow from someone's feet? But then again, it's a weird thing anyway that you see in two small beings anyway. <laughs> yeah. So... The, you know, the whole thing is completely out of kilter with physics as we would understand it, you see. But again, they don't take the shape of, of, of the typical fairy being that, you know, Disney might personify. Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking there, you spoke about the rainbow and how he was distracted. Did, did he ever hint that, that that was, I guess, perpetrated to create a distraction is it is it possible that these beings could manipulate what he was seeing in order to distract him so they could do whatever it was they were doing um that's a good point possibly that might be part of the case although a lot of these fairy encounters seem to suggest there's a kind of music uh that seems to be the enchanting effect of them right. and that's the thing that seems to draw people in um and the other case that is of interest in the film the fairy faith was uh, this lady in canada with her daughter and uh, her other two kids at the time they were very small i think this was about 1974 and she'd taken them from a little picnic by this lakeside in canada and of course kids want to have a little paddle in the lake and she was doing that with them but all the time, the mother could hear this weird, strange music, rather like the guy saw in Ireland. And again, she couldn't quite place where it came from. And she kept thinking, where's that music? What is it? And she was getting a bit of an uneasy feeling about it. So although this didn't enchant her, maybe the way it was designed to happen, she actually, you know, her shackles went up a bit. It was, it, to her, it felt more like a warning. And um, she decided that she didn't like the idea of hanging around there. So she decided to get her kids back in the car and get the hell out of there. So she was trying to get her kids to get them out of the water. Of course, the kids weren't really focusing on what their mum was saying. And they just wanted to hang around in the water. And eventually she lost her temper. She goes, get in the car. And she dragged all her kids into the car. And she said to her oldest daughter, she says, don't look out the window. And as she drove away, the, the, the daughter, who's now grown up, uh, and she said this in the film. She goes, I remember being told as a kid not to look out the window, but she goes, I just couldn't help it. She goes, I peered out the window as we drove away. And uh, what happens in this film, they go back to the original place where this encounter happened. And she points to this little woodland pathway. She said, I saw these beings skip out of the woods into this clearing there. And they appear to be dancing in a circle to the music that we had heard. And then she said she saw a, a, another little being come out and join them. And, and they all took hands with it. And they were like all holding hands. And these, again, these beings may be a foot high or something. They didn't have wings. She didn't describe any wings on them, but they seemed to be skipping. And they started to walk down or skip down the pathway to where they originally were having their picnic. So um, that seemed to be the source of the music. Now, what was going to happen to them if they had stayed there is anyone's guess. But the mother instinctively decided that it was not a good place to hang around there. 
So that's quite a negative experience there. And, and I guess that the mother was acting on instinct. So she never really knew that something bad was going to, there was no proof that something bad was going to happen. She was acting on instinct. Um, and so just like with spirits and ghosts and I guess anything paranormal, there is always that yin and yang. There is always that there's a, people have positive experiences and people have negative. Do you find that the fairy experiences tend to go one way or the other? Is there a, an even split? Uh, it's hard to say that there's not enough cases out there to say this is how it is. Um, they always say you've got to have respect for the fairies. Uh, you shouldn't accept gifts from them because that could be the maybe the way they hook you in. Um, but there is a guy that's written some stuff about the Fae. Um, I forget his name now. Um sadly but uh he's done a lot of investigations into them and i must actually buy his book because it sounds really fascinating to read but he seems to imply certainly from uh you know the blurb he says in his book about the fact that they're they're not all lovely love and light a lot of them are downright bad and certainly the one i mentioned earlier with where they're trying to steal the guy's shadow sounds like some of them do have a bit of an ulterior motive and it's they're not going to sit there and 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 look after the flowers because a lot of these people think that um, fairies are out there looking after nature and looking after the flowers and the woodlands. Now there may be some fairies that do do that. Uh, Certainly the Findhorn foundation in Scotland was built, built on that whole premise that they were working what they call nature divas up there. uh, And these people were channeling or in tune with these nature divas. And they believe that they were like a kind of nature uh, beans or sprites or fairies and they were encouraging them to grow vegetables and uh, helping them grow them they seem to be certainly of a beneficial nature to those people there but then there's the other side of the coin where some are out for their own thing and they're going to try and take whatever they can from you it's a bit like uh, you know people you'll, you'll get very helpful people in the world and you're going to get very people that are very negative and out for themselves yeah 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 okay um so just one one more question really before we move away from the, the fairies for now there's always that that connotation that that they're coming out of the woods um and i mean i i don't know i haven't really done much research into fairies but when i do hear these stories and you just mentioned there about that they're looking after the flowers and nature there's always this picture that that they seem to just dwell in wooded areas are the encounters that, that you've researched and look, look looked into do they tend to center around woods is that a common theme well i was on this flight once to spain on holiday uh and one of the last guys to get on the flight it was a a well-known airline i won't mention their name but we (laughs) sat on this flight and we're all heading to spain and this dark-skinned gentleman got on and sat next to me and i assumed he was spanish but when we got chatting it turned out he said i'm from iran but i prefer to call it persia but he said you know it's iran and so we were chatting and what do you do and stuff and i told him that i do artwork and uh, at, the, at that particular time we ran a fairy museum it was the only fairy museum in the U- uk at the time up in the north of scotland and um I showed him some of the artwork that I did of these fairy beings and other stuff on, on my phone, sorry, not on my camera. And, um, we started to get into this conversation about otherworldly stuff. And so that made him open up a little bit. He said, um, he said that when he was younger, he was, uh, conscripted into the army in Iran. And he said him and this guy was, uh, out patrolling the streets one night and a sandstorm kicked up, which is typical of that area. And he said they sought shelter in a mosque of all places. Now it's not obviously a strange place to find a mosque in Iran because that's the nature of the place, but it has no woodlands or anything like that. So this 
Mech's mech story makes it kind of interesting of what you said. Do they come out of yeah, the woods? Yeah. And I, I think the answer is no. Uh, basically, they sought shelter in this mosque. They went in there. It was all quiet. And this guy, I'll call him Hussein, he said to his buddy, right, you have a sleep and I'll sit against the wall and I'll keep watch. And then after an hour, wake you up and I'll have a sleep and you keep watch. And that was their plan for the night. So uh, his buddy went to sleep laying next to him and Hussein sat there with his rifle, uh, keeping watch. And he said, no matter how hard he tried, he kept falling asleep, he kept nodding off. And he kept thinking, oh, I mustn't keep nodding off to sleep. And he woke up and then eventually he fell asleep again. And this happened about three times. He kept nodding off and waking up. And he said on the third time, he woke up trying to keep himself awake. He noticed that there was this lady crouching down by his feet, looking at his feet. Now, uh, when you go into a mosque, you have to take your shoes off and socks. So they, they were looking at his bare feet. And there was a girl about 10 or 12 years old next to this lady, also crouching down, looking at his friend's feet. And they seemed to be fascinated by their feet for some reason. And Hussein thought, where the hell have they come from? So he decided to try and wake up his buddy by pressing on his friend's chest with his uh, elbow. And he said, no matter how hard he pressed with his elbow, his friend wouldn't wake up. And so he decided he didn't like the idea of these two people in there. So he was going to make a run for it. I don't know why he was going to make a run for it, because this guy had the gun. <laughs> and he said he was wrapping the strap of the gun around his arm so that as he ran away, it wouldn't swing <laughs> running away. <laughs> and, um, and he said that as he was doing that, it must have alerted them because suddenly the lady looked up and looked at this guy in the, in the eye. And he said, as soon as I made eye contact with her, I just knew instinctively in my soul or whatever you want to call it. I just knew that this lady was not from this world. Uh, it's like some natural recognition of something, you know, something's not right. Yeah. Something. And, uh, he said at that point, the lady stood up and the young girl stood up. They looked perfectly human. He said they walked away, but he says, as they walked away, he noticed they had cloven hoofed feet. And he said, wow. they walked away and just vanished into the wall of the mosque. And when he told me that, the you know, the shivers went up and down my spine. Like, oh, my God. So it, it makes it of interest, the fact that these people, they weren't quite human. They had cloven hoofed feet, which we depict in stories of Pan and half. Yeah. You know, we've got these legends of them. So maybe that's where these legends come from. But also the very fact that these people were looking at his feet because to them, the human feet were the odd factor from their perception. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. see? So, so how... How tall were, were, were these? Were these two? Well, he never said they were small or big, but uh, he said that they, they, you know, they looked human to him. I mean, when I did tell this story uh, at the probe conference, I had this lady come up to me and she said that um, I'm so glad you told the story about those uh, centaur beings or the cloven hoof lady because she said that when she was in hospital, uh, she had lost her baby and uh, she was put into this kind of recovery trauma room i'm not quite sure what you call it uh with the baby that had passed and it was just the corpse of the baby baby in this in this cot next to her and she said she sat there with her head in her hands and thinking how on earth am i ever going to get through this how am i going to be strong for my husband and my family and uh, i've just given birth to a dead baby and she said at that point the door opened and she said five or six centaur beings came into the room and she said they're only about a foot high. And she said they were ugly looking faces that presumably they look human ish. Yeah. Uh, but she said they were ugly. They weren't pretty, but they had like the body of, of a type of horse or something akin to a horse. 
uh, and they all came in the room. She says two of them peered over and looked into where this dead baby was in the cot, and the other dude was just staring at her. And she said somehow or other it had some sort of healing effect upon her, and then they just went. She didn't say whether they vanished or walked back out of the room, but it had some sort of beneficial uh, effect on her, and she felt the strength that she could carry on after that. So they came with some sort of positive experience for her, but again, they didn't come out of any woodland scene, as you would think. Okay, so just I mean, what I want to touch on there is 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 there's there's you've got two stories there, two experiences where they they weren't willingly going to talk to you about it, you know. So we had the guy on the plane who only really opened up when he realised um, your own interests, yeah. and we have the lady who felt she could come to you in confidence because she'd heard a similar story to what to what she'd experienced. So I find this with the paranormal in, in terms of ghosts and spirits, that there are so many people out there that are experiencing stuff every day, multiple times, some people, but they just don't feel the confidence to, to talk about it because they feel like they might be mocked or they might be laughed at or just, just not believed. Um, I guess, do you find that a lot? Do you find that with, with your own research? Yeah. I mean, obviously, when we are talking ourselves at a paranormal conference or group of some sort, you've obviously got all those people there that are on the same sort of uh, wavelength. They're all kind yeah. of go there because they feel they want to discuss these sort of things. So you, you tend to hear more of these kind of experiences in those kind of settings because they all feel more comfortable. Uh, they're not going to be laughed at. They're going to be taken seriously. And they're going to have someone with an understanding and a listening ear uh, as such. And so that's where the most likeliest times I've picked up these interesting tales. But, uh, yeah, on the plane, I was never expecting to hear that kind of tale (laughs) from a fellow passenger. But it's literally only because I was shown in the stuff that I was into. And I said this key phrase, which which made him unlock uh, his little secret, which I said, science is now just getting its hand on the door handle of this new frontier of reality. I said, they're just about opening the door to it. Uh, and, and that's what so he, he decided then to cross over and then tell me that strange experience, you see. Um, but yeah, he did feel more confident in the fact that I was a sympathetic ear and I wasn't going to laugh. And I said, could I use your story in one of our upcoming books? And he said, yes, but please change my name. So I did that and I actually sent him uh, the write-up just to make sure it was all okay. And he was happy with that. But again, because of his profession, I think he was an architect uh, now, that he didn't really want to put his name up on that kind of tale in case presumably it affected his life uh, in the present time, which you can understand. Uh, some people have a lot of things to protect. But, uh, you know, I think if they feel that the story is going to be shared, I think they do want to share it, but they feel it's got to be shared in the right way and at the right time in a way that's... Uh, if they're happy to, you know, be anonymous about it because they don't want the uh, negative effects from that, that having repercussions in their later life, I think. Yeah. And, 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 and personally, I just think that's a crying shame that, um, you know, people have these experiences and, and, and in some cases, life changing experiences and still feel the need that they have to remain anonymous and they have to, um, you know, kind of do it, talk about it covertly. And, and and I've just always thought that that's a shame. 
Yeah, unfortunately, it is the way we live in this uh, scientific material world. Yeah. And even, yeah. I mean, I'm currently reading this book now, which is a scientist investigating spirits and spirit guides of the afterlife. And he's a scientist. But he said that there are some scientists that just won't touch this stuff because they feel it affect their future work. Um, they secretly might discuss it. But on a piece of paper, they won't put their name to it. Uh, and it's because of where we are at in our world now. But I actually discuss in my forthcoming book that I actually wonder if there is a kind of a plot, if you like, to suppress this information. Um, for instance, if you think back to the days when we used to get programs like Stars on Sunday or uh, various church religious programs on a Sunday, they would all have these church services with the archbishop or the deacon of so and so uh, from the art, uh, you know, wonderful cathedral of where, wherever it is, and they do their little service and talk about Jesus and God and the miracles he did, and everyone sings the songs and it's all great. But when you have a medium do their stuff on the TV, uh, they'd always show it with a disclaimer saying anything this medium says should be taken, you know, and I'm paraphrasing it with a pinch of salt. Nothing yeah. should be read into it. Um, it's purely for entertainment purposes only. And yet I always find that the medium, whoever that may be, uh, it, it generally is coming up with much more convincing evidence of something paranormal and maybe an afterlife than anything that any of the uh, religious programs ever did for me. Um, you know, they're, they're presenting these very old stories that can't be, you know, they, they could be hacked to bits by any kind of skeptical approach. Whereas yeah. uh, when you've got a medium on the stage delivering pretty, pretty astounding information, uh, that's got to be taken seriously, in my eyes, much more than 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 what the Archbishop of Canterbury is talking about on his Stars on, uh, on Sunday program. So um, I actually think there is a suppression to a certain extent of this information, or it's belittled as much as possible. Um, for instance, the, the story of Helen Duncan, who was a wartime medium. She was the last person to be tried under the Witchcraft Act because they needed something to put her away for the rest of the war because she was bringing back dead sailors in her seance room uh, through physical materializations in other words these people coming out of a seance cabinet as an ectoplasmic form and they were saying they were sunk on the hms uh barham i think it was and the hms hood and yet officially uh the war office at the time were not announcing the fact that these ships are sunk because it was demoralizing for the british public to hear yet another of their uh, ships have been sunk by the germans so they're keeping that fact quiet and here was helen duncan bringing back sailors who had died on those ships and, and was reporting it in the sounds room and the word was getting out and so basically a plot was hatched to um expose her as a witch or a fake medium or whatever like that uh, she was tried at the old bailey even though she was doing these demonstrations in portsmouth and she was originally from scotland um, and you would think that, she, if anything, they'd just find her at a local Portsmouth uh, magistrate's court or something, but they made a big spectacle of it and put her away for the rest of the war years, something like nine months, I believe it was, um, because they didn't want her possibly coming out with information that might expose, for instance, their D-Day landing uh, plan or anything like that. Um, so the establishment took it seriously, the fact that she was getting these messages through, but they don't want people to really focus on the fact that it, it, it can happen, that this phenomenon is is true in my understanding. Um, uh, I mean, imagine, for instance, 
if you if it was accepted that there was life after death and we could all communicate with spirits we could all use our little soul phones to call up various personalities that have died let's call up lady diana uh, or whatever and have a chat with her and she might come through and say yes i was murdered um yeah. in that tunnel in 1997 and it was xyz people that killed me that would really rock the establishment so Again, they can't have that happening, so they've got to belittle this sort of thing to kind of cover it up. I think. I think. I think. I think you're right. I mean, it, just the, the term conspiracy theory was penned off the back of um, was it off the back of JFK or off the back of Nixon with the war? I again? think it was JFK. Yeah, it yeah. was basically something that, that that was penned by the CIA to 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 make people that were opposing the government's official narrative to kind of pigeonhole them as people that, that that were making up stories basically and that that term conspiracy theorist has, has stuck ever since and the fact that the cia um common knowledge now conduct certain things such as mk ultra programs and um remote viewing programs and the fact that police quite often consult psychics to help solve murder cases shows that the establishment do have a finger on the pulse where this is concerned um, so I'd have to agree with everything you've just said there. They they, they, they do have one eye on it and, and a full understanding of it, in my opinion. But they are they are suppressing it for, for various reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as I said in my book, it's a shame that the establishment couldn't have just said to Helen Duncan in those wartime years, look, we understand you're really good at this sort of stuff. Just shut um, up. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, is a thousand pounds a month, some, some extortionate amount that uh, would be at that time. Please keep quiet about it um, or, 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 or go to Hawaii or something like that. We'll get you out of the way for the duration of the war years, but we'll, we'll make sure you're looked after. And when the war years are over, we'd like to talk to you more about your ability. Or they could have actually gone to one of her seances, communicated with her spirit guides uh, and said, look, how can we end this war with, uh, without yeah. further bloodshed? Yeah. And, and actually sought the higher plan and sought the higher um uh wisdom of the spirit world to help them but no instead they pressed on with let's go and kill thousands of people yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um okay so just moving away from the, the kind of fairies and more into the spirit the spirit side of, of, of your research so uh, the title of your talks and the title of your books is is experiences with with fairies spirits and ghosts yeah. now you clearly you're defining a difference there between a spirit and a ghost and I was just interested in your take, um, why why you felt the need to differentiate between between the two words there. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot uh, you know in the general populace, the name ghost and spirit is just uh, intertwined pretty much. So, yeah. Um, yeah. someone who's more in tune with this sort of thing, who has an understanding, is more likely to say spirit. And uh, people who might see something appear in their doorway is more likely to say, "Oh, I saw a ghost last night" or something. Yeah. Now, uh, I kind of uh, envisage a spirit to be someone that's passed over who can come back and communicate with the uh, this pres uh, present lifetime. Um, I don't want to say the living because they're just as much as living as we are. They're just in, in another dimension, if you want to mm -hmm. call it that. Um, so, I mean, we're all spirit now. We're just encased in material flesh, I suppose. That's it, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they can come back and communicate with us, whereas I believe a ghost is more, could be a projection of... Uh, 
like some people talk about the idea of, of the stone tape theory where uh, events have been recorded somehow in the atmosphere um, and people talk about the fact that it could be the stones of the castle or the stones of a stone circle or uh, something in the ground has somehow held on to this memory and uh, the spirit or rather a ghost, if you like, a recording of that happening um, has been captured and can be played back uh, by certain people sensitive enough to see it. Now, there's a case point here, which is a case of uh, Harry Martindale, who in, I think it was 1953, was working as a plumber's, plumber's apprentice, get my words out, um, in the town of York in the north of England. And he was at this place, I think it was called the something house the something i forget what is a big big house in york and part of this house actually was built over the original uh roman rose that existed uh maybe about two thousand years prior and now this was unknown to harry martindale was about 17 or 18 at the time and he was tasked along with a few other plumbers to go in and sort of basically um put new heaters in set up um the whole new plumbing system in this in this big stately house and so he had to go down into this basement cellar uh and basically spend about five hours drilling holes in the wall to feed pipes through now he set up his ladder in there where some excavation work had previously been done where they had discovered this old roman road running through it and they left it there um for later investigation so Harry, not really knowing what it was, just decided that's a good place to support his ladder there and it wouldn't sort of slip up. So he was there um, maybe five hours, uh, leaning against the wall, up in the corner, banging away, drilling away with his tools. And he heard this weird noise. It sounded like a horn blowing. And he thought, well, someone's got a radio or something, but it's getting louder and louder. But he, he said it didn't sound like a particular tuneful thing like you'd hear on the radio it just seemed to be one note playing repetitively and he says that as this thing was getting louder and louder it appeared to be coming from the wall that he was working on but just below him obviously because he was up up the ladder it was coming from lower down and he said that as he heard this thing get louder and louder he suddenly saw a roman soldier walk out of the wall and he said he couldn't see their feet that was sort of like obscured but as they got through and passed through the part where the excavation took place and where the Roman road was revealed, suddenly it revealed their feet. And then another Roman soldier came through, but this time it was on a large horse. It appeared to be something like a shire horse, he said. And he could see them in all his detail. And, of course, he was absolutely shocked and taken aback by this. And he, he fell back off his ladder in shock. Uh, and, and scurried into the corner to try and not be seen by them. But he said they just completely ignored him. And a whole sort of platoon of these soldiers came through the uh, the wall. Uh, and he said he even saw the one that was blowing the horn on some sort of horn device. And the interesting thing is he said he could see them in such detail. He could see their whiskers on their faces. They appeared to be unshaven. They appeared to be splattered in mud. Um, they looked tired and worn. He could even hear them talking in a language he didn't understand. And um, he said that, uh, you know, they, they completely ignored him. Uh, it took about two or three minutes for this whole platoon of soldiers to walk past him. And then the sound faded off as they walked through the other wall. And as you can only see them, they said, he said they looked completely solid, but you just couldn't see their feet until they reached where this excavation had taken place. And, uh, 
it seemed to me that the fact that they weren't interacting spirits in the sense of that, you know, they weren't coming out to say, boo, I'm going to haunt you or anything like that. They seem to be completely encased in their own time frame. Um, now, some people call that the stone tape theory, and you could say, yeah, maybe it's because it's in the stones of that building. Somehow the the psychic energy or whatever you want to might, might call it has been recorded, and Harry, maybe being a psychic sensitive, has somehow seen it. But I actually discovered that he wasn't the only person to see it. After a bit more research, I found that um, a number of years later, a new warden of the house, uh, I think it was in 1959, uh, reported seeing them on four different occasions. But like Harry, she had seen them in the winter months. Harry saw his in the February of 1953, and he described them as being covered in mud. This lady had seen them in the winter months of 1959, October, November, and December, I think it was. And she saw them doing similar things to what Harry had seen, except sometimes she said she saw a whole load of horses come through that wall and they were all sitting on them, but almost like falling asleep on the horses as if they'd been out on a long march on these horses. And the horses were just bringing them back to base whilst they were asleep on horses. But again, they're all covered in mud. And then there's another time they're all walking through by themselves, all sort of like uh, tired and worn out. But again, they're covered in mud, but they were leading all their horses. So they're doing slightly different things from what Harry had seen, although it appeared to be the same set of soldiers or Roman soldiers at least. And uh, so the fact that is it wasn't a repeat tape being played, the same action being played over and over again. It was like different scenes were being played out. So I started to think the fact that maybe because she was seeing them in the winter months, i.e. because they were splattered by mud and you'd only get mud in the winter months, really, uh, that they were perhaps being spied at the same time. So, for instance, if she's seeing them in November 1959, she could be seeing the same Roman soldiers in their month of November because they're affected by the environment of their time in uh, you know, 2000 years ago, whatever it would be. Uh, and they're covered in mud of that time. Whereas if she had maybe sighted them in the summer of say 1961, she might see them dry from mud clean and, and not affected by the environment as much as they were in 1959's, uh, you know, November or whatever it is in the winter months. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. that I mean, you, you're kind of just hitting the nail on the head in terms of how, how I believe. So the difference between spirits and ghosts um, and a theory that I am currently looking at um, in my own research at the moment is that when we see a ghost, so when, when these centurions were spotted, is it possible that there was just a, a, a veil of, of time has been lifted, so to speak, and the, the the two timelines are just interacting. So they're they are they are physically marching through that 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 cellar or along their road, and you're just kind of imposing on their timeline um, and seeing it happen in their time. So as you say, because it's it's the winter, so they're splattered in mud. It makes perfect sense, and their feet were unseen because. The, um, the 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 floor has been raised since they were were, were walking around. So yes. at the moment, I'm kind of developing a theory. When you see a guy walking around your house, he is walking around your house, but on a different timeline. He's probably a previous owner. So I, I massively buy into what to what you're saying though. It, it makes absolutely perfect sense to me. Um, do you, do you find that that happens a lot? That 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 these the these kind of timelines are interacting with each other because the fact that they didn't look at 
um, Harry when he was seeing it to me tells me that they're completely unaware that he's there. And I, I guess it would, I guess if you were interacting with timelines, they would see him. So it's always interested me that it only ever works one way. We only ever see into the past. You know, you don't have any Roman stories of seeing a man in strange clothes up a ladder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. Although there are accounts. Yeah. I, I've kind of come to that conclusion um, with this idea of the stone Tate theory. I've kind of like uh, expanded it in my thinking that the fact that, yeah, I think they are seeing, like two parallel time slips, if you like, and 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 uh, the the other lady who was the warder of the place later on, um, you know, saw them from her kind of months of uh, the years that she was operating there in. Um, but again, they, I think the dogs even saw them actually on her occasion because she had these two little dogs and they were barking uh, at the dogs. Even the dogs could perceive them, which I thought was an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a case, I think uh, one of my fellow hosts on the paranormal UK radio network of which I do my own show on there called the paranormal peep show, little plug there. Um, he had talked about the fact that one of his own friends had been to this old library and was walking around looking for a certain type of book. And he'd gone into this, uh, very quiet part of this old library and came face to face with a guy who was wearing really old fashioned clothes. And he kind of stopped in his tracks and thought, my God. And and this bloke looked at him as if to say, my God, you know, <laughs> right. and then the bloke just vanished. So it was like a case of that. These two people had spotted each other in their own time frame. They had caught a glimpse of each other. Now I have read in kind of like channeled, books like the seth material i don't know if you know seth jane roberts and seth i don't know if yep. that's yeah for those that don't know jane roberts channeled this spiritual entity who he who he called himself seth yep. and he i think he wrote about seven or eight books over the sort of 30 year period from sort of like the 1960s through to the 1980s and he talked about the fact that time was simultaneous and there's even physicists now actually sort of speculating this idea um, so that, uh, you know, you can be observed of ghosts on other levels of reality. They might see you walking through their wall, for instance, and you'll be quite unaware of them, but uh, they'd be quite uh, aware of you. And, you know, it could be that in the future, um, we are the ghosts of, of other people's futures right now, walking through their walls or something. Uh, and we're just totally oblivious as much as Harry Martindale's Rome soldiers were oblivious to him. Um, and again, Harry Martindale, interestingly, kept it quiet. He didn't tell anyone for quite a few months, but it was because he hadn't, <laughs> he hadn't turned up for work. They said, why are you, you going to go back to work? And he sort of told his mates in the pub, well, don't tell anyone, but I saw these Roman soldiers, blah, blah, blah. And that's yeah. how the word got out. Now, the interesting thing about Harry Martindale's soldiers is that he described them as having small square, sh uh, I think it was round shields, actually. But most of the public understood that, you know, when they saw a film with Romans on, they're always clean shaven and they always had round shields. And he also said that, that they had small, like, daggers, not long swords. And... Um, Various clever historical people listened to this account and observed that the fact that 
these what they were called auxiliary Roman soldiers. That's how we would view them, a bit like auxiliary nurses, if you like, in a hospital. Um, the, the fact that they wore a slightly different colored uniform. Traditional Roman centurions would wear red, and these ones were wearing green tunics. And so basically, these were not the main Roman soldiers from Italy that were, were stationed uh, at this place in New York. These were probably locals employed by the Roman army to keep, uh, you know, that York kind of uh, place under under observation and control. Yeah. And they were using locals, um, a bit like the territorial army, I guess, something like that. And so their uniform wasn't the same as, as the major force. And so Harry had observed like the, the TA version of the Romans rather than the main Romans. But he wasn't to know that. He just said they were Roman soldiers, but they're this, this and this. And people said, oh, no, that's incorrect, you know. But in fact, later observation, about 12, 13 years later, when these people looked at it properly, realized that, in fact, he had cited these people, a specific kind of uh, Roman um, uh, garrison, if you like. And so uh, that was a very, very interesting piece of information that, that, that kind of supports his story, which I thought was really interesting. But, yeah, I do believe that uh, these time, uh, you know, this this time thing always operates. Everything operates at once. Um time or simultaneous and i always found that hard to get my head around but if you imagine the old records uh before we had cds and mp3s we'd have these old records lps and if you took them out their sleeve and held them up to light you'd see their musical tracks five yep. on one side and five on another and you would see the thin line between the tracks is where the silent was now in order for you to listen to that lp or the record you'd have to put it on a record player you put the stylus on it and it'd go through that groove on the record and work its way through one track and then you'd find the silence track and it'd just be silent and then you'd get to the next track and uh, you'd have to play it in that linear fashion to experience it but if you took it out and held it in anger, you'll see in all those tracks all at the same time. And that's the way I'll try and explain a simultaneous time to people is that to experience it, you have to go through the track, i.e. the life experience. But from a higher perspective, if you like, all these things all exist as once, like tracks on an LP. That's a fascinating way of putting it. Um I've just written that down because that's <laughs> I'm probably going to use that analogy myself if you don't mind. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's a really good way of, of describing it. I mean, like, for me, it, it's just every day happens over and over again. So tomorrow we will have this discussion and we'll have this discussion and we had it yesterday. And um, so uh, something that that's that's kind of the way I'm going and looking at this research that that those soldiers will be marching, doing that same thing every single day. And someone just happened to come across it and had an ability to see it. Um, and and because and it just repeats, we're kind of in this groundhog day. And I guess p perhaps that's maybe where deja vu comes from. Uh, we have experienced this before, just on a, on a different timeline, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's always a bit strange one, deja vu, because you can never quite pinpoint it. It's no, like, it's, why do I remember this? But I don't know where it's from. It's yeah, it's frustrating. Say. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's kind of like just getting towards the back end of the, of the show now. Um, most people often go into the, these kind of fields of research because they have a strong belief themselves or they've had experiences that have pushed them into looking a little bit deeper. And that's how it worked for me. So for you, have you ever experienced any of this? Have you, have you experienced a spirit? Have you experienced a fairy that, that, that made you get into this? Well, 
I, I'd say the thing that made me get into it is I had a major curiosity as a kid, uh, and I don't know where it came from, um, but I remember asking my mum when I was little, and I can't even remember what age, I said, mum, where was I before I was born? And she said, well, you didn't exist. And I said, well, I must have existed. And I just could not understand how I could not have existed. I just didn't know where I was. I thought I must have been somewhere, but I didn't know where. Uh, and then as I got older, um, various uh, Reader's Digest magazines uh, were given to my family uh, as things to read. And obviously, I was a bit older and I was reading it a lot more. So I, I would see something on the front of the Reader's Digest magazine that would say something like, I died on the operating table and went out of my body. And I thought, ooh, that sounds spooky. What's that <laughs> yeah. then? So I'd read this account. And of course, what they were experiencing was was... Uh, what we call a near-death experience where someone dies uh, temporarily for maybe 10 minutes or something and the surgeons are busy trying to resuscitate them and meanwhile they're floating out of their body and sometimes experiencing this tunnel of light and stuff and that got me really fascinated i thought where are they going and they were encountering sometimes sometimes some sort of celestial being so that that was what really gripped me and and then later on, as I got even older, I came across things like Doris Stokes on the TV at the time in the early 80s doing her shows and presentations. And I even went and saw Doris Stokes uh, sometime later. I was about 17 or 18 at the time. I saw Doris Stokes at the London Palladium. I was very curious about it. Um, but when I would go to readings uh, at the Spiritualist Association of Great Britain, because I used to watch programs like Arthur C. Clarke, and they talked about this place, the Association of um, spiritualists in, in, of Great Britain. Um, I tracked out down the place and, and went and had readings with these various mediums, but they'd always say to me, by the way, you can do this, you're psychic. And I'd say, really? I've never seen a thing in my life, you know. Well, that was interesting. I'd never seen a ghost or a fairy or anything. And the opportunity came to me a few years later when I joined uh, this psychic developing circle, and that's how I started to find out if I had any kind of ability in that area. And we went into these sort of various procedures to exercises to try and develop your psychic ability. And I found that I started to get things right. I'd get um, little thoughts popping in my head about people. And, and, you know, you could call it intuition or lucky guessing or whatever. But um, I was getting these things right. And it couldn't have been just luck on my side. It was, it was bizarre. Um, now, I never actually saw anything. I never saw a fairy. I never saw a ghost or anything like that. But later on, I found that I could feel their presences. So I did feel the presence uh, on a couple of occasions of small beings. Uh, and one, I was doing a reading on a chap, and I said, I feel that there's a gnome around you for some bizarre reason. And he goes, that's very interesting. He said, I've been given that in another reading by another medium, that I have a gnome that follows me around, which yeah, I thought yeah. was interesting. Yeah. And... Uh, and then I felt spirit draw close to me as I'm doing a reading for people. Sometimes I felt the spirit come right through me and you literally do feel like it takes your breath away. And then I moved into things like trance, um, speaking in trance and channeling, which I don't really do that now, but it was a sort of an experiment to see if it would work or not. And I actually, would you believe, ended up uh, doubting this lady, had this spirit guy called Manico, because it sounded like the Muppets, and I thought, you know, it sounded like um, it sounded like Fuzzy Bear at the Muppets, and I couldn't believe that this guy was real, you know. But later on, maybe three or four months later, I actually ended up channeling this Manico myself and doing the same sort of voice, which I was really shocked at because I I wrote the whole thing off as fake, and yet here I was, um, quite without trying it because I was expecting a picking up another spirit guide. This this Manico 
thing dropped in unexpectedly and, and, and persisted in sort of coming through me to prove his existence, which is quite fascinating. But I write more about that in the book and the details on how that happens. So, yes, I have had encounters, but not visual sightings, but I definitely felt them around me. That's interesting because it, it it does tend to be like that. You get some people that are more visual. So you, you have you know you have your clairvoyant. You, I think is it clairvoyant audio? Is it audiovoyant? There's there, there's clairaudience, which that's is I think it, what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, and that's literally hearing spirit. And then there's clairvoyant, which uh, voyeurism, if you like, to view. That's from the French to see. So that's where your the clairvoyance is seeing spirit. And there's clairsentience, which I think is the smell and that you can yeah. smell stuff. Yeah. And there's a few other clairs, but I can't and remember what they are. Is it, it's, uh, from, from my understanding, it's quite rare for somebody to have all of that as one kind of bulk package. Yeah, uh, there, there are a few mediums that do that. Uh, very, very few and far between. The most common one that I've come across is clairvoyance, where you see mental impressions in your mind, uh, usually of a symbolic nature. Um there used to be a medium, a really well-known medium at the time, but he's passed on now, called, um, gosh, what's his name? Gordon Higginson. And he was absolutely brilliant. He would talk to the spirits and they would talk to him directly. Of course, you know, the public couldn't hear what he was saying, but he'd be nodding to them and things like that. And I saw him at a demonstration in Middlesex uh, about 1989, I think it was. And I'd heard about this guy, and I thought, well, this is an opportunity to go and see him. Let's go and see him. And there's me and this whole audience. And he just picked this guy out of the audience. He said, you, sir, he said, now, the coat that you're wearing here tonight is not the original coat that you put on to come out. He said, um, I'm being shown that you actually put another coat on, and you came out, and you sat in your car, and you decided, no, you didn't want that coat. So you got back out of your car. You went back into the house. You threw your coat on the bed. And you've grabbed the other coat from the wardrobe, which you're now wearing. And my helpers have now just gone downstairs to the multi-story car park where your car is. And they're showing me it's a red sports car with the registration number PYE something something 2F. And this bloke was going, oh, my God. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, absolutely gobsmackingly right. Now, People could say, oh, but it was a plant in the audience, you know. Yeah. And, well, yeah, I suppose you could do. But there was no Facebook back then. There was nothing that you could get that information. And even in, if there was a Facebook back then, it's not likely that they could have picked that information up on Facebook about him going back to get his coat and things like that, you know. That, that, that fascinates me because, as you say, as technology's developed, something I'm, I, I talk about in my recent presentation is that, you know, we could probably never trust evidence again because of technology and you know the ability to fake things um but when you talk about stuff that happened pre-modern technology and you know and when i talk when i when i say that i mean you know 30 years ago smartphones didn't exist there was no google as you say there was no facebook or whatsapp so there was no way for people to to, to really cheat mm. um so when people got things right it, it was more believable it was more uh, accurate i guess absolutely i mean i've actually put this to the test almost um in the last couple of years i've came across uh, a team called heavenly voices in paul in dorset and uh that's right i'm just being called there um <laughs> okay. so uh yeah i i've um 
found this team called Heavenly Voices in uh, Paul in Dorset, and uh, they're using a Ouija board. They don't like to call it a Ouija board, but everybody else would see it as a Ouija board. They like to call it a spirit board. Spirit board, yeah. Yeah, and so I was initially, um, I wasn't skeptical. I believed the whole thing. I thought it was worthwhile because I'd heard good things about these people. I was called in at like short notice to be a bum on the seat because the people that were going to be there that night had to cancel. And so therefore, these Heavenly Voices people said, look, we've got a spare night. Has anyone want to come along and so i was invited along by a friend of a friend and so i took part in it and and you know my mum came through now these people didn't have time to research me they didn't even know who i was on facebook and here i was suddenly being presented with my mum who had only died like 10 months before and she came out with her name and i said what road do you live in or did you live in and she spelled out the road lovell road l-o-v because this is the thing the girl uh, and the guy that was doing it. Now, if they had manufactured all this, they were certainly doubting what was coming through because the word L-O-V-E came through. And she's going, love? I said, no, no, there's one more letter. And then it went <laughs> L, love L. Love L Road was the name of the, the road that we lived in. And um, and then about a year after that, I was presented with another opportunity to have a reading with them. And I, I kind of knew them a bit better this time. But again, I was prepared with questions that I literally just asked off the cuff. Uh, yeah. Again, they, they stuff that they couldn't get off Facebook. So there was one really clever question they would have never got off Facebook because I never published it, and um, it involved Star Trek. And and basically, um, I said to my mum because she came through. I said, "Now um, you did a drawing back in the seventies when I was a kid on a bit of old board." that you put in front of the fireplace because, you know, we had to keep the draft from coming out down the chimney. And we used to put this board there, you see, because we didn't have any central heating, but we used to board it up to keep the draft out sometimes. And we never had any spare paper kicking about the house. No one bought reams of paper back then. You used to draw on the back of an envelope if you were lucky. <laughs> but so she pulled this board away and got a felt tip or a pencil or something and drew this great big portrait um, of Mr. Spock from Star Trek. Uh, and I was always fascinated with it. I thought that was really good. And and then we put it back, the board back, and we forgot all about it, you know, because the board faced away. It looked back into the fireplace, so you didn't see the picture of Mr. Spock from Star Trek. And then, of course, you know, central heating came along some years later, and the board was thrown away, long forgotten about. And uh, so I said, what was the name of that picture you, uh, you drew on that board, on that fireplace? And she came back and now the glass wig wiggled and wobbled a bit because it didn't know which name to say. It didn't know which to say the actor's name or the character name. Does she say Mr. Spock or does she say the actor that played Mr. Spock? And so I said, I'll tell you what, just tell us the actor's name. And then she spelled out Leonard as in for Leonard Nimoy, the actor that played yeah. Mr. Spock. Now, yeah. they wouldn't have known that at all. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not something I go and publish on Facebook just before I'm going to have a reading with them. It's, it'd be stupid to do so. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. That was amazing sort of communications. That's kind of, to me, uh, proof. And, and um, I mean, there's a whole lot more I could tell you about that maybe in another show. But uh, that's just a little taster uh, of what I've written about in the book. Okay. Um, so just kind of wrap it up then. Um, we will definitely get you back on to because I know um, you've got a, a a plethora of subjects to, to, to come on and discuss. Um, is Where can the listeners reach you? You know, where can they get your, your upcoming book? Where can they watch your talks? How can they contact you? 
Okay, if anyone's interested in some of the talks and also the radio show that I uh, work on, which is the Paranormal Peep Show, I, I run that with uh, Andy Chaplin, my co-host. That's on my channel, Neil Pill, N-E-I-L-P-E-E-L, or you can go to the Paranormal UK Radio Network and uh, we'll have the show there. They also have it on Podbeam. Uh, Stitcher and iTunes, all these podcasting platforms, and you can type in the Paranormal Peep Show, or literally just type the Paranormal Peep Show uh, on on uh, YouTube, and you should find it come up there. And there's also a few presentations on on that channel, Neil Peel, of myself doing talks at Truth Seekers Northeast and uh, other places, and also other people talking on my behalf. Because I used to run the High Wycombe Paranormal Meetup Group, which sadly I don't now at the moment. Um, my book, Encounters with Fairies, Ghosts and Spirits, is still being written, so I can't give you a publication date, but I would imagine it might be somewhere maybe in the autumn. Um, if I can get a publisher, then great. If I can't, then I'll self-publish it. But I'll also try, you know, I will try uh, a mainstream publisher, first of all. Um, or it might even come out maybe next year, depending on on, on how these things go. Um, if people want to email me uh, with a question or they maybe want to share an experience, happy to take an email. Um, they can email me at neilged, N-E-I-L-G-E-D-D, at gmail.com. Excellent. Uh, I'm sure a few listeners will be in touch. Um, I will earmark the the book. I've, I actually I, I know a guy who who publishes similar books to ours, so uh, I'll, I'll be sure to send you that contact if you're looking Thank for you. a publisher. Um, That'd be great. That 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 that, that should be fine. Um, yeah, great. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, it's been a pleasure to finally talk to you after kind of <laughs> dancing around each other for, for a few months. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll most certainly have you back on to, to, to discuss further subjects and to maybe go a bit deeper into your own personal experiences. Cool. I look um, so yeah, so thank you very much. Thanks for joining me. Pleasure. And, uh, and speak soon. Take care. Cheers, Kieran. Thank you very much indeed. Okay, so that was the interview there with Neil. Hope you guys enjoyed that. As I say, it was a fascinating one for me. Um, it was really interesting to hear a little bit more about about the fairies and these little creatures that are clearly being encountered and spotted ar- around the world. Um, but as Neil says, it's just not not the most commonly spoken of for for various reasons. One of those being that that, that people feel they, they're going to be ridiculed, and of course. This is a thing amongst all paranormal experiences. Um, I firmly believe that there are so many more paranormal experiences occurring every day around the world, but people just choose not to come out and talk about it because they're scared of what their friends will say or what their family will say. And of course, this prevents these experiences being spoken about and being investigated and coming to light just because people are scared of what other people are going to think. And unfortunately, we do live in that kind of society. So the experiences that come out are great and it's brilliant to see that people are experiencing them and it allows people like myself and and other investigators to go out and research them, such as Neil. But it does make you wonder how many experiences and occurrences are happening around the world that aren't coming out and how that could help develop the field, the paranormal field and the investigative side of it. If only people would just come out. So um, I guess a plea to, to anyone who's listening to this that's experienced it, you clearly have an interest in it if you're listening to, the, to this kind of show. But if you have experienced something and you're worried how people might react to what you have to say or your experiences, 
Um, I'm always open to to having a chat. You can drop me a line at uh, paranormalparadigmpodcast at gmail.com. You can contact me via the Facebook group, as many of you do, or even my own email address, which is kieran.woodhouse at gmail.com. Please feel free to, to contact me through any of those avenues um, should you want to kind of have a, you know, an ear to talk to, someone that won't judge, and we can take your experience from there and maybe help develop it into something you can understand and maybe something that people won't ridicule you for. You should never be ashamed or embarrassed about about what you've experienced. Um, another interesting story that Neil, Neil told us there was about the Roman centurions in York. Now, I visited York about, must have been about three or four years ago now with the wife, and it fast became one of my favourite places to visit in England. It's a fantastic place to visit. And, and anyone that ever gets the chance to, if you haven't, I urge you to go and visit York because it's a beautiful, beautiful place. They have so many museums. Um, of course, it, it, it was a Viking and a Roman settlement. And they have the Jorvik Centre, which is a great Viking museum and plenty of Roman museums around as well. And it's just a really, really in place, interesting place to visit. And they even had a chocolate factory, which was great for myself, who who loves a bit of chocolate. Um, so, yeah, if you get the chance to visit York, please do. And while you're there, there are, of course, as it being one of the most haunted places in, in the UK, there are plenty of ghost walks you can go on on an evening. And, and, and we did go on one. We met outside the doors of the York Minster, the York Cathedral. And this guide took us around certain parts of, of, of York, uh, lasted about an hour and a half or so, and just told us some scary stories. And one of them was the story that Neil told tonight about the soldiers that walked through the cellar. Uh, and I remember reading that story when I was younger in a ghost book as well. So it's a very, very famous story. I've uh, been backed up a lot of times by, uh, as Neil said, there's that lady who who witnessed it a few years later who was clearly um, not connected um, and you know they're not in it for fame they're just telling people what they've seen so th there must be something going on where that story is concerned very interesting indeed now before I sign off this episode I'd just like to take the opportunity to promote the other show that I'm currently doing alongside this one which is the Collective Conspiracy Show and it's a live show that, that goes out on a Monday at 8pm every other Monday at 8pm and, and as this episode airs I would have done two live shows, one about 9-11 and one about the moon landings. So if you guys have a passing interest in conspiracies, and I know some of you do, and then please just keep an eye out on, on our Facebook page because I uh, will share the link on there for you to be able to come and watch me live and, and it'll, it'll stay on there after as well so you can watch it even when it's not live. You can watch it once it's broadcast and once it's streamed. And uh, yeah, so it's just another, another avenue for me to kind of get... To, to listen to interesting people. And it, as I've said before, it helps fulfill another passion of mine, which is conspiracy theories. And just, you know, I, I'm careful that I don't want to blend the two with the paranormal side as well. So it is a separate a separate program. But should you guys have an interest in it, then please head over and, and give it a watch, give it a listen, and let me know what you guys think. And, yeah, so until the next episode or until the next Collective Conspiracy Show, should you care to join me there, Please take care. Please look after yourselves and we'll speak soon.